All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. If you will, turn with me today to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 will be in the first section in Mark chapter 7. Today's sermon is titled, How to Become a Pharisee. By that, I do not mean, here's how much you have to know of the Old Testament, or here's how you can go about studying under a rabbi, or here's how you get accepted into Pharisee school. No, this is how to become a religious hypocrite, how to become a legalist, how to think that you are holy and righteous while God thinks you are actually far from him. And therein lies the danger in what we are about to do. The subtle danger here that Pharisees never think they are Pharisees. Pharisees never think they are Pharisees, at least in the way that we're talking about it. This legalism, this hypocrisy. Pharisees never think they're Pharisees. Hypocrites do not think they are hypocrites. Legalists do not think they are legalists. They just think they're following God's law faithfully. That's the subtle danger in what we're about to do here. Michael Reeves, in his excellent book, Evangelical Pharisees, writes this. Nobody today is a self-avowed, card-carrying Pharisee. We keep that word as verbal mud only to be thrown at others. And so, in other words, almost every time that you think of the problem of Pharisees, you are not thinking about yourself, but about others, some other person, some other group. Yeah, they have a problem with this. And so, right at the outset here, I want you to be on high alert for this danger because Pharisees are the ones who say, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. But ironically, many people here teaching on this issue and then come away thinking, wow, I'm glad I'm not like that. Thereby becoming what they think they're not. Becoming a Pharisee in the middle of the teaching about how not to be like that. And so that's the danger here today. I want us to be on a high alert for this this pharisaical heart that we might have during the sermon to think, I know someone who needs to hear this. I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Now this this is about right here. Beware becoming a Pharisee even during this sermon. It's sneaky, it's subtle, and it's a big danger, a danger of religion that Satan often capitalizes upon, if you will. And so let's read our text. This is Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. Mark 7, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Mark writes, When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come home from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now, before I get into our main points, I want to make note quickly You might have noticed, if you've followed along with us through our trek through the book of Mark verse by verse, that I'm not really dealing with chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, the very end of chapter 6 there. Now, I promise to you, with a clear conscience, that I am not avoiding that text because of something hard in there, something controversial. It is simply that the teaching there is something we've already seen and we've already addressed before in the book of Mark. It's ground that, that we've already covered, so to speak. And so it made more sense to me for us to jump down to chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 today. So we won't be going over verses 53 through 56, but I promise you it's not because we're trying to avoid something hard. So let's look at our text today and ask, how do you become then one of these Pharisees? What are the steps? I want to give you the steps to becoming a Pharisee from our passage today. Step one is this, obey outwardly, but not inwardly. Step one, obey outwardly, but not inwardly. Look at verse six with me. And in verse six, Jesus says to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, what? You hypocrites, hypocrites. We find hypocrisy as a major problem with God's people over and over again in the Old Testament prophets. The Israelites had turned their religion into a checklist of outward rituals. So offer the right sacrifices, check. Don't become unclean, check. And then go out and live however you want. They were going through the motions on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. Again, this this occurs mostly in the prophets in the Old Testament because at that time they had slowly but surely, after years and years, veered away from the Lord in their hearts. And so they were going through the outward motions of religion but living away from the Lord, from their hearts, living in in a sinful way all throughout perhaps the week and then trying to do their religious duties regularly to, to kind of get back in God's good graces. And so their hearts were far from God. He quotes Isaiah there. This is a danger for us as well, brothers and sisters. It was a danger for the Pharisees. It's a danger for us. It's a danger in religion, just in religion. To to do the outward rituals and to have your heart stray. To obey outwardly, but not inwardly. And so, for us, it might be, well, we come to church. We give our money. And we listen to a sermon. We even talk about the fact that we go to church, to other people. But we're really just giving lip service to God. Did you notice what Isaiah said there in verse 6? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's lip service to God. Your heart doesn't care about him. And so there's a form of cultural Christianity that you've probably seen, that some of us have probably been guilty of. A form of cultural Christianity that is shiny and neat on the outside, but on the outside only. 
Jesus actually speaks of this explicitly when he pronounces his woes to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Let me read to you a couple of them. Matthew 23, 25 through 28, which says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This hypocrisy can creep on us as well. In fact, as a church full of sinful people. We must say that sometimes the charge against the church that is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, sometimes that's very true. Sometimes there's a lot of truth in that, that we are hypocrites at times. We can fall to this. And when we have done so, we've got to understand a couple things. Number one, there is a sense in which we're all hypocrites. None of us live up to God's law. And so we come and we we, we celebrate the Lord, we celebrate God's word, and yet we don't live up to it. But the Lord expects that, and so does everyone else, I believe. There's an authenticity to our Christianity if we understand, yes, we we fall short of God's law, we repent of our sin, we acknowledge our imperfection. But there is a hypocrisy that Jesus talks about that we cannot and must not let ourselves fall into, where one of two things starts to happen. Either you start to see your relationship with God as transactional, You start to see your relationship with God as transactional, meaning he must forgive you if you do your religious duties. You come and do the religious duties, and then he is required to forgive you. And so when I was growing up, I had a lot of friends who were raised in the Catholic faith. And the Catholic faith faith teaches that if you show up to Mass, well, grace automatically comes to you through the means of being at the Mass, of being in the presence of of the Mass and through the Eucharist, communion, grace automatically comes to you, even if your heart isn't in the right place. Grace automatically comes to you. Well, slowly but surely, this this brought about the lifestyle of people I would see that they would just go live however they pleased in sin and all kinds of rebellion against the Lord. And as long as they showed up to Mass a couple times a month, maybe, they'd just get right back in God's good graces and then go do it again. And it'd become transactional, Right? And it's not just Catholics. This can happen to any of us. Our relationship with the Lord can become transactional. And so you have this heart disposition. The Lord has to bless me. The Lord is required, really, to forgive me as long as I show up and do my religious duties on the outside. And so that could happen. Or it could happen this way. You start to live for the approval of others and not for the approval of God. And religion becomes a show. It becomes a show for other people. You see, when you're living for God, you are devoted to him, not just in public, but in private. In private, where no one else sees. And so I ask you this morning, how is your private prayer life? Just a diagnostic question for each one of us. How's your private prayer life? Because if you find that you never spend, excuse me, you never spend time devoted to prayer, it might be a sign that you're not really living for God, but you're living for the approval of others. Your religion is a show. Or how about this one? 
When's the last time you felt joy in your heart simply from having and knowing God? Not because of your circumstances or something he's done for you. When's the last time you felt joy in your heart simply from having and knowing God? If you can't remember, it could be a sign that your Christianity isn't actually Christianity at all. You see, being a Christian is not primarily about being a good person. That, that comes with it. But it's not primarily about being a good person. Being a Christian is not about staying away from all the bad things. It's not about having a respectful life and a general morality and having people think of you as a Christian. Now, Christianity, what we're doing here, it's all about knowing and having God. It's much more an inner thing than it is an outer thing. It has to be. Or else we do what Isaiah said that they were doing, worshiping the Lord in vain. You see that? Verse 7, in vain do they worship me? If our religion is only outward and not inward, we may be worshiping the Lord in vain. That's a scary thought to me. That we could be doing what we are doing here, and it's all in vain. It's all for nothing. I pray that the Lord would help us not to be like that. And one of the ways is we, we, we've got to make sure our religion is inward and not just outward. Pharisees are the ones who are in the most danger of becoming the people Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, who meet Jesus on judgment day and fully expect for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. And yet what they hear is, depart from me, I never knew you. And they, they, they appeal to all of the things that they have done and accomplished in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Those horrific words, and they're so horrific because these people, Jesus says, are expecting to hear the opposite. And in a moment, in a second, everything changes and there's no second chances. And they realize it's hell for all eternity. How horrific that must be. And so remember, brothers and sisters, no one thinks they are a Pharisee. No one thinks they are a hypocrite. And it's hard even to spot this in anyone else because hypocrisy by, by its very nature is, is a show, an outward thing that makes you think one thing, but inwardly it's something else. And so we've all got to look right here at ourselves and make sure that our religion is not simply outward. <clears throat> Step two, how do you become a Pharisee? You idolize your traditions. Idolize your traditions. <clears throat> In this step, we begin to critically ask, why don't they do what we do? Why don't they do what we do? Now, notice in verses 1 through 4, this hand-washing issue. The Pharisees saw some of Jesus' disciples, verse 2, they ate with hands that were defiled, that were unwashed. Now, understand, this has nothing to do with physical hygiene. It was ceremonial cleanliness. It was about following rituals. And that's really all we need to understand from that part of the passage here. You could have all kinds of questions on it. Like, for example, at the end of verse 4, why in the world are we washing dining couches? Okay, 
we, we could get into all the details there, but really all we need to understand for the passage's sake, for the, the meaning that Jesus is trying to get across here, is that it was a, a, a ritual that the Pharisees couldn't believe the disciples didn't participate when they all did. Why don't you follow the traditions that the rest of us follow? Why are you not like us? A critical heart, a critical spirit. Why are you not like us? And brothers and sisters, we can fall to this just as easily. We can fall to this just as easily. We could meet here every week and we could rally ourselves up on talking about all the ways that other churches do it wrong. We could get really riled up and, and really united around everybody else has got it wrong. And that's all we talk about. And we constantly proclaim all the ways that everybody else is not doing what they're supposed to be doing like we are. And start asking critical questions like, why in the world don't they sing our worship music? Why do they sing a different style of worship music? Why do they dress like that? How can they dress like that going to church? Why do they shout during the sermon and talk back to the preacher? Why do they raise their hands and dance during the singing? Well, that church doesn't do VBS. Why don't they do that? Why don't they have a flag on their stage? And it's not simply a, a recognition that different people do things differently. It's a critical spirit that says they are wrong for doing it that way. And so what you begin to do is you begin to lift your, your traditions up to the place of doctrine. You begin to teach your traditions as doctrine. Notice verse 7. Jesus, quoting Isaiah, says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Teaching as doctrines commands of men. None of those things that I just mentioned are in the Bible. None of those things are in the Bible. We are not told anywhere in Scripture that we must dress up or down. That we must sing traditional or contemporary worship songs. We are never told in Scripture that we must do VBS or have Sunday school or even Wednesday night or Sunday night service for that matter. We are not told anywhere in scripture we must have an American flag on the stage. None of these things are biblical teachings. They are traditions. Traditions. Now, understand, brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with traditions. There's nothing inherently wrong with traditions. We've all got them. Every church, every group of people in the world has traditions. Some of them are wonderful and excellent. There's nothing wrong with traditions unless we lift them up to the level of doctrine. Unless we teach them as if they are a thus saith the Lord. I've got a good friend who pastors a church in Illinois. A couple years into his pastorate, he and the elders of that church decided to remove their American flag from the front of their sanctuary. You can imagine... The, the storm that that stirred up. But they had decided because they knew their people, they knew their people, they had decided that that had become a problem. It had become an idol. That people were confusing their identity as an American with their identity as a Christian and lifting it up to a place of prominence that it, it never should be. Now I'll tell you right off the bat, I don't think, knowing you guys, I don't think we have a problem with this. And so I've never tried to pick that battle or, or, or try to do something like that, but they felt like that was an issue in their church. And so he and the elders decided to remove it. Well, some of his members left and never returned because of that, showing them 
that they had made the right choice because it had clearly become a tradition that was being taught as a doctrine or being accepted or viewed at least as a doctrine. Some of their members had this attitude, if you don't have an American flag on the stage, I refuse to worship God with you. And so that told them all they needed to know right there. You see, when we lift a tradition that we have created, that's not a biblical mandate, up to a level of doctrine, we're dancing with idolatry. The minute we start teaching as doctrines our own made-up traditions, we've fallen into legalism. And we begin to worship God in vain, verse 7 there. Meaning God is not pleased with our worship. That we are worshiping, but we are not truly worshiping. And so what this means, brothers and sisters, is that to worship God rightly, we must refuse to lift tradition up to the level of biblical doctrines. To worship God rightly, we must refuse to make commandments where the Bible makes no such commandment. We must refuse to divide with one another on preferences. We must refuse to divide with one another on preferences. The Christian church comes out of a movement called the Restoration Movement, where where men were trying to unite brothers and sisters in Christ who had divided on so many different ancillary things. So many different secondary issues. They saw all this division in Christianity and said, can we not have unity even as we we disagree on some matters that are debatable? Even as we have different preferences, can we not unite under the essentials but nothing more than the essentials? It's actually a beautiful, I think, way to form a movement of God. But brothers and sisters, to worship God rightly, I think this text is telling us we must refuse to divide based on preferences. We must refuse to insist on doing things the way we have always done them because that's the way it's always been done. We must refuse to do that. Because if we start doing that, we begin to worship God in vain. Now God tells us what to do in his word in many ways. In many ways, God tells us what to do explicitly in his word. In many ways, God tells us how to worship or how to order a church And where the Bible is explicit, we follow that command and insist on following the command. But everything else is up for grabs. Everything else is up for debate. There are many details the Bible never speaks to. And thank the Lord. Because people have been worshiping Christ for centuries, for millennia, in many different places on the earth, with many different cultures, in many different times. But our our decorations... The events and activities our church does, our ministry teams themselves, worship songs, and the list could go on and on. These are all up for debate because they are not doctrines. They are traditions. They are the way we have decided to do things. And if you find yourself getting upset or flustered when we don't do something that we've always done, that's an indication you might have lifted one of your favorite traditions to the level of a doctrine. Now, eventually, this leads to denying God's commands. Eventually, it leads to not just we've, we've lifted our traditions up too high. Eventually, it leads to setting aside commandments that God actually did give in his word. Notice verse 9. Notice verse 9. Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God 
in order to establish your tradition. So no longer is it just traditions become too important. Now they're actually rejecting a commandment of God. And he goes on to talk about the honor your father and mother commandment. Honor your father and mother. He says they had this this law. The Pharisees had this law that they had invented called the law of Korban. The law of Korban stated that, let's say you had aging parents who needed your assistance and needed your help. Well, you you could just sly your way out of that by telling mom and dad, I'm sorry, all the time that I should be giving to you, it's actually devoted to the Lord. So I can't help you, mom and dad, because I'm so holy. I can't help you, mom and dad, because I'm following the Lord. And Jesus says, you have traded genuine obedience for fake obedience. You're, You're actually denying what you should be doing for the Lord and using the excuse that you are doing things for the Lord. You see how, how rotten this is. You see how vile this could get. And how much the Lord would hate such a thing. To use him as an excuse to get out of obeying him. Right? To use your show of religion as an excuse to get out of genuinely obeying the commands. And so eventually this leads to rejecting God's commands. So I would encourage you, brothers and sisters... To spend some time thinking about what we do as a church. Spend some time thinking about the things that we do as a church. And ask yourself, is that a biblical command or is that a tradition? Now there's nothing wrong with tradition. Some traditions are wonderful. Some traditions are wonderful. Don't be anti-tradition just by default. That's not a a, a God-honoring attitude either. Don't try to abolish something just because it's tradition, but also... Make sure you don't attach your heart to a tradition and then lift it up to a level of doctrine. And so step three now. Step three, and our final one, focus on others instead of yourself. To become a Pharisee, focus on others instead of yourself. The Pharisees were the holiness police. They were the holiness police. They loved to pick apart everything that Jesus and his disciples did along with everybody else. They thought their job was to make sure everyone else was following the standard that they had created. And all the while, they had forgotten to look inward. The desire of their heart had shifted from finding favor with God to finding favor with others. And so John 12, 43 was true of them, which says, For they loved the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. Just means they were seeking approval, not from God, but from other people. If they got approval from other people, they felt like they were doing a good job. But it didn't matter what God thought. They'd forgotten all about what God thinks. Pharisees make it their business to find fault with others, but to ignore their own faults. Pharisees make it their business to find fault with others, but to ignore their own. We are all susceptible to this. Again, remember the subtle danger here. You could hear what I just said there and think, I know someone who's like that. By, by, By doing that very thing, we are becoming that. Be careful here. We are all susceptible to this. We all have a tendency to be a Pharisee in this way. The mark of a Pharisee is to be hard on others, but easy on yourself. 
the mark of a mature follower of Christ is to be easy on others, but hard on yourself. To have patience upon patience upon patience with the failings of others. To forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. But to grieve over your own sin before the Lord. To see the depths of sin in your own heart and consistently be trying to put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning... Right here, right now, let's repent to the Lord from our hearts for our judgmental spirit in finding fault with everyone else. We are all susceptible to this, myself included. I'm fighting it right now as we speak, not to just think of everyone else who needs to hear this. Let's repent to the Lord right here, right now, and noticing all the ways that other people have gotten it wrong. And let's take a hard and dangerous look at the sinfulness and the hypocrisy inside our own hearts. And let's confess that to the Lord. My heart is deceitful. My heart is sick. It needs the Lord to heal it. And only He can do so. And that sickness and that deceit is sometimes masked as holiness. I can feel holy, and all the while be making God sick at what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, Jesus told a story that is so wonderfully helpful on this. It says, He, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It is so dangerous, it is so tempting to hear that story, to hear the Pharisee who says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, and then to think, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. And in that moment, we become him. In that moment, we become him. It's about right here. Nobody else. Right here. Forget about the problems of everybody else. What do you need to repent of? Where have you failed God? Have you desired the Lord above all things? Cry out to him for mercy. Let us all this morning cry out to him for mercy, for our hypocrisy. We must admit sometimes the charge is true. The church is full of hypocrites. Brothers and sisters, may we be constantly fighting against it though. Constantly asking the Lord to defeat us in our pride. Constantly asking the Lord 
if I have been hypocritical, expose me. Expose me. Show me what I'm doing. And draw me back to you with a sincere heart, with sincere repentance. Not worried about where anybody else is, but where am I? Not worried about the approval of anyone else, what anyone else thinks about my Christianity. What does the Lord think of me? Does the Lord approve of my heart? Does the Lord approve of my relationship with him? Does the Lord approve of how I'm doing this? May it not be outward, brothers and sisters. May it be inward. Let's take a long and dangerous look at our own hearts this morning. And ask God for help. Ask God to change us. I want to do that right now. We'll spend time doing that right now in silent prayer. We offer this time every week, but especially today, it's particularly important and appropriate. Let's spend some time in silent prayer before the Lord, getting real with him, and being honest and repentant before him, and doing our very best not to think of anyone else and their problems and their sins. So we use this time, I ask you to go to the Lord and do just that for a few moments. And after we do, we'll come back together. We'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. Let's pray.